This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham. It's a Wednesday, as I last checked. Your lucky number is 647. And we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Number for the program is 844-SAY-ACCN. I'm Mark Packer. I'm in Charlotte with dogs. There's no Robert. There's no Captain Ron. There's no Otto. And uh, my partner's down there at home in Cartersville, Georgia, where it's about 116 degrees this morning. And uh, we're going to get through We're going to get through the day. That's what we're going to try to do here for the next uh, two and a half, three hours, give or take, whatever the case may be. Mr. Durham, how are we doing? Hot enough to make your eyes water this morning, isn't it? I Woo. mean, holy smoke. <laughs> smoking like the Braves is what we're doing. We are smoking oh. like the Braves. Yeah. It's uh it is so warm through the southeast. And I know it it's funny because I was watching a little bit of uh my favorite meteorologist, David Chanley, here in Atlanta, and he was showing me a map and it was kind of going from like just northeast of charlotte through charlotte down through the upstate and then into georgia it just kind of explodes into this shell of heat and excessive heat and the next thing i know i'm thinking man packer got this too holy cow so uh boy it's a warm one so everybody stay hydrated as they say in the business right no um, doubt. my goodness but we got plenty to go today don't we but hey both of us got a mammoth box yesterday I mean, a box showed up as big as a box as I've ever seen delivered to a house in a long time. Uh, if you have a uh, upper deck shot here of the studio, um, I thought Mrs. Packer had ordered something. And I'm like, God, what, what didn't Amy get this time? And uh, so it comes rolling in here and I just schlepped this thing down the steps. Uh, but it's a pretty cool gift, I got to tell you. And for folks who have watched the uh, ACC Network, uh, the 10-part docuseries, the tournament, which was absolutely outstanding. Um, I guess the movers and shakers up there in New York City have decided to send a giant poster, kind of like what you'd see in a movie theater. And uh, so it comes zipping mm-hmm. in this box, as you can tell if you're watching this on television. And uh, so I was going to open it live on television, and thank God it didn't, because for a while the box was beating me. Uh, and that would have been a three-count pin, Nature Boy Ric Flair style, right here in the middle of the studio. So we got that thing unwrapped, and so that's what it is. And it is really cool, and I'm going to have to find a spot for it down here in the basement somewhere. But uh, it was an incredible docuseries, uh, and it was amazing. I mean, they could have had it. That thing could have gone 20 parts, but the 10 was fantastic. So there it is. You can see the size of the box as it sits back here like a uh, blimp at the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, getting ready to attack me from behind. <laughs> but uh, very cool. The series was fantastic, and uh, the, the, the what they sent was really, really cool. So we appreciate that a great deal. Yeah. I tell you what, to get a framed movie poster is something I never thought I'd see. Now, Here's the, I'm going to take you a little bit behind the curtain with the show, okay? So yesterday afternoon, this text comes in from Packer. Just got this box. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. It's bigger than the desk. I don't know what it is. I guess it's for the show. Let you know, da-da-da, whatever. So the plan was we're going to open this thing on the show. Well, about an hour and a half later, the UPS guy UPS guys show up at my door and leave me this box. 
And I'm thinking, wait a second. Pac said the box was from New York. I look on it and it says New York City. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Did I get the same thing Packer just got? And next thing I know, uh, Vicky walks in and says, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to open it. And she goes, we're going to open it. We're going to figure out what this is because this box can't sit in the middle of the house. I said, okay. So we opened the box and pull it out. And I could not believe what it was. It was amazing. So thanks to everybody at ESPN Films and uh, everybody involved in this to, to consider us to get one of these is phenomenal. And I'm, I, I think I can speak for Mark and say, really appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, you guys uh, would send us something like this. I've never had anything like this before. It was cool to get, I can tell you that. Well, I'm glad you opened it up because I, I wasn't sure. I told Josh, uh, who's running the show, and Angela and Chrissy and everybody else, I said, you know, if we open this, I don't know what it is. Like everything else that comes to the house, I, I seldom know <laughs> something's coming my way until we open it live on the show. We've turned it into kind of a segment, what's in the box. And so I told Wes, I said, Wes, you better open that thing and tell me what it is because I, I don't want to be – you know, surprise tomorrow and open it up at its new uh, floor mats for the bathroom. And we thought it was something for the show. So you, you, you never know right. what it's going to be. But this is a really, really <laughs> cool gift. I mean, it yeah. really is. It's spectacular. And like I said, the series was and a awesome. cool way to. Re- yeah. And a really cool way to remember uh, the documentary that uh, debuted in February. And by the way, it's still available on ESPN Plus Pack. You can go there and. Uh, pick out your favorite episode and watch and rewatch. And uh, I know people binge watch stuff in the summer, uh, you know, Netflix and Prime and all that other stuff. But I'm telling you, the doc is still there and kicking. Um, in fact, I went down a rabbit hole uh, a couple of weekends ago on some of the college football 150 stuff that I had not seen. There were one or two episodes up there I'd never seen. And so I went down a rabbit hole and watched two of those that were on the ESPN Plus app as well. So, but uh, anyway, thanks again to everybody with ESPN Films and ESPN Promotions for for thinking of us uh, in that light. So, we got a lot to go. We got a lot to go today. Two days feature Florida State and North Carolina. Uh, Kurt Weiler will join us at seven thirty. He covers Florida State for the Tallahassee Democrat. Be a good opportunity also to ask Kurt Weiler about the baseball search too. So, we'll try and cover some of that. Adam Lucas will be an hour later at 8.30. Of course, GoHeels.com and also co-host of the Carolina Insider, the wildly popular podcast. We'll get him. Uh, Debbie Antonelli uh, will join us at 9.15. And Link Jarrett on the way to Omaha, or if not in Omaha, will be with us at 9.30 uh, this morning. At 8.15 this morning. Now, this is a special guest. I don't think – this guy's not been with us at all. Is that right, Pack, no, in our uh, show will, history? He will be making his debut on Packer and Durham. And the perfect guest yeah. this week, considering one of the no largest question. sporting events in the world taking place in our country. Yep. And so, two-time U.S. Open champion, including the last time it was staged at Brookline, and ACC legend, and that's safe to say in this case – Curtis Strange will be here at 8.15 this morning on this program. And we will talk about the U.S. Open. And we will talk about Curtis Strange playing Packer's brother at Old Bo. And we will talk about a bunch maybe, of stuff. I, maybe I should tell that. Maybe I should. Maybe I should tell that story now as opposed to wasting time when Curtis sure. is on. Because uh, Old sure, Bo uh, is a golf course and community that uh, my old man, Billy Packer, uh, was involved in and still is as far as ownership, development, and yep. everything else. 
and they had a golf course dedication. It's up in the North Carolina mountains uh, near Sparta. Beautiful track of land. In fact, I was up there this mm-hmm. weekend driving Billy around. But um, so they had a, a the golf course dedication, and this however long ago it was twenty years ago. I don't know, maybe been longer than. That. Um, and my brother Brant, who played uh, golf for one year at the University of Houston, and knows he still plays to this day, uh, was going to be tied in with Curtis Strange in the foursome to dedicate the golf course. And the first hole at Old Bow was a little par four straight down the hill, straight down the mountain. And um, Curtis hits it in there about 15, 20 feet and then makes the putt for birdie. And Brant says, according to Brant, Curtis really hasn't said anything to anybody on the first hole. And he rolls in the birdie putt. And as he goes and he picks the ball out of the hole, he looks at my brother, who can't be. I think Brant's still in college. And looks at my brother right in the eye and goes... (laughs) You're one down and walks right to the second tee. I'm like, man, don't mess with Curtis Strange now. Curtis Strange is coming out there. I think they flew him in on a helicopter to, to tee off. It was a big deal. But Curtis Strange, you know, when you're the two-time U.S. Open champ, I don't want to hear any lip from some college guy. Hey, dude, you're one down, and what's the course record, all right? So I, I got a kick out of that story. So we'll have Curtis Strange on here coming up at 8.15 to uh, – Break down not only the U.S. Open, but ACC golf. And, of course, Wake Forest this year gets back to finally winning the ACC Men's Golf Championship as the Deeks swept the ACC in golf on both the men's and women's side. Yeah. And at 8 o'clock, we're going to do something. I'm not sure we should do it, but we're doing it anyway. We're going to do a version of accounting that – are the social media going to put the, the social? We're going to keep this off social media after we do it. Is that right? So, because so if the social media people, if they put this out there, we're baked. You know that, well, right? But I don't care. I mean, let, I, I really, I, I've reached the point in my life that if somebody wants to rip me on social media, I take a great deal of pride in it with a smile on my face. Like, hey, okay. that, that was what makes there your life complete, man. You go for it. It doesn't matter to me. Seriously. All right. Okay. So. Both the Clemson and the Florida State baseball jobs are open. Now, we'll get to Clemson report in just a second. Currently. But at 8 o'clock today, it brought about a question of what are the top 10 jobs in the ACC in terms of coaching? What are Across all schools, all sports. And Pac and I, as usual, do not look at each other's list. We do not share the list. We submit them individually. And then Josh and Angela build everything. Everybody involved in the backside of the show builds the graphics and we'll show it to you at 8 o'clock. And what's scary is it looks like we've basically come up with similar list. Oh, really? In some respect. So the lists yeah. are similar. How about that? I was surprised to hear that. Yeah. You're going to get mad at me, but I don't care. So, so you've got flying the shoe blimp in the top five like I do? That's not one of the best coaching jobs in the ACC. I, I, I just took it as jobs in the ACC was my approach. I didn't take coaching jobs. I said jobs in the ACC. <laughs> so I said flying okay. the shoe blimp right. had to get some mention there. All right. There we go. We'll do that. All right. Uh, speaking of Clemson this morning, uh, there is a report out this morning that Clemson uh, has – uh, made the waves, and they're going to hire Michigan's Eric Backich as their next baseball coach. 
of course, two years ago, three years ago, Bakich, who spent one year, one year on staff at Clemson under Jack Leggett and then went to Vanderbilt with Tim Corbin uh, and just had Michigan in the Louisville Regional uh, played for the College World Series Championship. And Bakich, who's got a terrific pedigree, coaching experience, things like that. Here he is, 2019 National Coach of the Year, two Big Ten titles, five NCAA appearances, nearly 330 wins. Um, and you see the one year, 2002, with Jack Leggett and Clemson as an assistant, Tim Corbin also on that staff. Uh, that would be the resume that comes to Tiger Town as the new head baseball coach at Clemson. Uh, Mark, give me some thoughts on this. Well, I, the, my first thought is some guy sent me an email uh, last night and uh, had a typo, and he said, Pac, what's your take on Dockage going to Clemson? And I was thinking, Dan, Dockage is going to Clemson? What, they get rid of Brown now? What, what you? And then I wrote the guy back, and he's like, no, 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 the baseball coach. I said, well, why would Clemson hire Dan Dockage as their baseball coach? And the guy didn't realize he had a typo. And and so everything he was asking me was Dockage, Dockage, Dockage. I'm like, they do- he do- Clemson's not going to hire Dockage for basketball, baseball, or anything else. But on a serious note, since this guy had no idea what he was talking about, um, hey, the guy's an amazing guy. He did a nice job at Maryland. He's did a fantastic job at um, Michigan. And, you know, the fact he does have some relationships from a Clemson perspective and understands what he's walking into and understands how important baseball is to the Clemson community. I mean, that is a sport that matters. It's kind of like when we talk about Syracuse and lacrosse. There's a lot of schools in the ACC that don't have lacrosse. They go, why are you guys talking about Syracuse all the time? Because it's a sport that people talk about 24-7, 365. It matters at Syracuse, just like baseball is a big deal at Clemson. It's a big deal at Florida State. That's why those jobs are so coveted. That's why guys are going to be making a nice piece of change and uh, there's going to be comments in your check. So uh, you got to get a high-profile guy. And Monty Lee, uh, you know, had the opportunity and just did not get the job done. He'd be the first one to admit they came up short when it comes to the NCAA tournament and getting there. Clemson's not made it back to the College World Series since 2010, and that is a drought amongst droughts for Clemson baseball fans. Yep. So, um, you know, hopefully if that turns out to be the higher for Graham Neff and the Tigers, that that all works out. But the guy's got a terrific resume and understands what Clemson baseball is about. So from that perspective, on the surface, you'd have to say, hey, nice hire, if that turns out to be the case. But now you got to go get it done. And as you know, this is a really a great competitive baseball league, as you can tell with the number of teams that consistently get in the tournament. And now, what, 16 consecutive years, there's been an ACC team in Omaha Baseball is a big deal, but it really matters at Clemson. And quite frankly, they should be better than what they've been the last couple of years. Well, and here's the thing, too. Backage has done something that I think is important to the Clemson resume that's not being discussed, and that's the renovation and restoration at Michigan because it's eerily similar to what he'll be asked to do at Clemson. Michigan had not had great success in baseball. When he arrives, uh, Bud Middall had taken a College World Series team. You'll remember Bud Middall had Chris Sabo and Barry Larkin. That was his Michigan teams, right, that ultimately right. went to Omaha, you know, low the many years ago. Backage was able to maximize a lot of those building principles from Middall's success and then kind of restore the faith in Michigan baseball. That's eerily similar to what he's going to be asked to do at Clemson Pack. You just mentioned it. It's been 12 years. That's a big deal at Clemson. He understands that task because he's already done it at Michigan. 
And I think that's why, you know, when his name got brought to me early, the first person I called was somebody who knew about the Michigan restoration and what Michigan baseball had been and had he achieved that. And I was told he did. And therefore, I think that's why this guy might be a really good fit. Now, the Link Jarrett situation in Florida State's a whole separate issue now. And that can't be taken care of until after the Irish season is over. But the Clemson situation, this looks to be a, a really solid piece of work from Graham Neff. And, a, and you know this, too, as an alum, it's a big hire. It's a big oh. hire at Clemson and Athletics. This is not just, oh, by the way, here's the new baseball coach. No, no, this they're going to write a big check too, and I, you know, I would say this, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful to Michigan, uh, but on the surface, it would seem to me it's easier to build a baseball power at Clemson than it would be to be in Ann Arbor, Michigan, yep. where for four or five months of the year uh, you're up to your earlobes in snow. Um, you know, we've talked about how the teams in even within the ACC at Pittsburgh and at Boston College from a, from a weather standpoint, kind of work backwards. Right. Where, hey, the first part of the season, man, we got to get on the road, get down south and get on the road because we just can't play home games. Uh, what Vakic was able to do at Michigan was sensational. So, you know, like I said, the yeah. fact that he's had experience at Clemson, knows what it's about, knows the importance of what baseball is to that community, uh, I think is important. You can't hire a guy that kind of walks in and goes, man, Wow, look at this stadium you got. Why are all these people here? Because people care. They care about recruiting. They want to win. Their in-state rival is a big deal with South Carolina, who's had great success winning national championships. Ironically, both Clemson and South Carolina have kind of gone through this same kind of drought. I mean, you would just expect both of them to always be really, really good in baseball. And quite frankly, the standards that they have both set, neither have matched here in recent memory. So... Uh, that's got to change from that perspective, but that's a you know an SEC South Carolina problem for Clemson's perspective. Uh, hopefully, uh, Bakic is the right guy for the job, and uh, if that happens to be the hire, tag your it, go get to work. So we'll see what happens. But that yeah. is a big, big fill as far as the, the roster is concerned at Clemson, no doubt. All right, Kurt Weiler coming up bottom of the hour when we come back uh, on the heels of Notre Dame's upset at Tennessee last weekend. ACC upsets, huh? Kind of digging in here in the last handful of years. What have been the biggest? We showed that Syracuse Clemson. Oh, how about a little NC State Villanova from a couple of years ago in the NCAA tournament? We'll, we'll dig in on that coming up. Packer and Durham on a Wednesday. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. It is a Wednesday, 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program, 844-SAY-ACCN. A ton of guests come your way, including Curtis Strange making his debut in basically 55 minutes. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Oh, boy. All right, biggest upset in ACC history. Now, little preface to this. Uh-oh. These are the biggest upsets in football and basketball based on point spreads, Okay. Um, we don't want to get into, you know, all this other stuff. So Thank baseball, God. different story, but football and basketball, 
These are point spreads going Whew. into the game, classifying them as upsets. Thank goodness that it's you said that, to Wes. caveats on this. I'm glad yeah. you said that because for a second I thought FPI and BPI were going to get involved and there 63% here, and they thought that was an upset. Didn't get it right like the weather folks yesterday. 0% chance of rain That's in Charlotte. Right. And we got like six inches by the end of the show yesterday morning. So glad you straightened that all out. So we now can move forward. Thank you. All right, on the heels of Notre Dame – Beating Tennessee two out of three in the Super Regional in Knoxville to advance to the College World Series. A quick chronicle of other big ACC upsets. All right. Uh, Let's go to just a year ago. Roll it from the ballpark in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where Elliott Avent and NC State went in there, lost game one 21-2. They lost 21-2 in game one. Yeah. They won a stunner 6-5 in game two and then won game three, three to two. Yeah, I remember that first game because Drew Drew Brooks had NC State plus 18 and was really upset that he didn't cover. Uh, But it doesn't matter. It's just one game. That's why baseball (laughs) is so crazy. That's why we keep giving that stat last week that the Miami Hurricanes are the last team to be the number one overall seed to win the College World Series. And you got to go back to 1999. Baseball can do that to you. Yep. And we've already seen it this year. Compliments to Notre Dame knocking off Tennessee and getting to Omaha. So, NC State last year, man, well, they were on a great run. Of course, we know how that thing ended with the COVID deal in Omaha, which stunk. But, boy, the Wolfpack put on a show last year on their way to Omaha. They were great. Yep. Uh, let's go back seven years and more NC State upsets. This one in the NCAA tournament at Pittsburgh, the eighth-seeded Wolfpack knocked off the top-seed Villanova in the round of 32, uh, 71-68. Trevor Lacey, a big ball game. Cat Barber had 13. Abdul Malika Boo, big time. Ralston Turner. I mean, you know, pick out your favorite Wolfpack player. It's amazing amazing how often you're going to see NC State on this list. I'm just going to give you all you Wolfpack fans this morning. uh, This is right down your alley because when you start talking about knocking off number ones and upsets, multiple sports, uh, NC State's had a pretty remarkable run in that department. Yeah. Even had a bench shot of B.J. Anya there a moment ago. All right, 1991. Number two Duke defeats number one UNLV, 79-77. You say, well, I say, this is a big upset? Yes, because yeah. this, is the, this is the rock and roll Vegas game. Yeah, it's an upset because a year before, Vegas beat Duke by 116 points to win the national championship, and nobody thought Duke had a chance. And keep in mind, this was this is about a half an hour after Dean Smith had gotten tossed and Roy Williams in Kansas had knocked off North Carolina in the first semifinal before that game right. took place. And it, like I told you, it might have been my favorite all-time Final Four as far as the games, the storylines, what happened. Uh, it was remarkable. Yep. So uh, Duke is definitely on the list for the win against Vegas at the old Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis. You know what else is on this list too, Pac? I tell Macri got involved today. Yeah, I do know it's on the list, but I can't. I don't want to ruin the surprise for everybody. Right. 2016, 10th seed Syracuse defeats the one seed Virginia, 68-62 at the Elite Eight in Chicago. 
Macri. Macri's been back in the chair three days, and we've had two references to the Syracuse-Virginia game already. Uh, that's okay. 16. And it's I got news for you. Uh, you know, we're probably going to get some more Syracuse <laughs> love on this topic, too. I have a feeling coming down the road. But, you know, the thing I remember about that, we all, I think everybody kind of felt like, hey, is this Tony Bennett's time? Right? It just felt like Virginia mm. was primed. They had been, you know, they turned that thing around. Right. They had all kinds of momentum. It was like, okay, are, are the Who's finally going to get to that final four? And you kind of felt like, all right, yeah, they're going to beat Syracuse. They'll beat those guys. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? And old Jim Beheim, yeah, man, how many times have we seen that magic trick uh, in March with the Orange, right? Not sure if they're in the tournament. They're right on the line. Like, they always seem to be in that debate. Then they get in, and then they cause problems. And, man, did they ever. Yep. It was an amazing run for uh, Jim Beheim, one of many for the Orange come March Madness. All right, last one before we get to Kurt Weiler here is um, 1983, the pit in Albuquerque. To this day, still one of the great games in NCAA basketball tournament history. No doubt. The Wolfpack beats Houston 54-52 to win the title. On the dunk, said Billy Packer, as Jim Valvano is looking mm-hmm. for someone to hug. I'll never forget it. There he is. I'm, I just I can't believe it happened. What? I mean, it... You, know, you asked me yesterday about Notre Dame being the team of destiny for Omaha. I mean, yeah. when, when you see that clip and use that uh, old cliche, mm-hmm. the team of destiny, it just kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, what NC State had to do to just get to the tournament, forget winning it, just get to the tournament was remarkable. Winning yeah. the tournament was unheard of. So every time I hear that team of destiny thing, NC State men's basketball is about the first thing that pops in my head, and I just kind of shake my head and go, Come on, man. How are you gonna how are you gonna match that? How are you gonna match NC State? That's it. So we got more to go. We'll get to those later in the show. But that's a that's just a, a short list of big upsets in ACC history. Uh when we come back, two a days, we'll dive in on Mike Norvell, Florida State. They got a quarterback and they got a lot of other talent too. Feels like the Knowles are ready to kind of reemerge, if you will with Coach Norvell. And when we come back, Kurt Weiler covers Florida State, and he'll be with us on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham on a Wednesday. 844-SAY-ACCN. We have a busy, busy show with a guest, guest, guest. And we're going all over the league as we normally do. And, Wes, we're going to start, though, part of our two-a-days Um Yesterday was a little Georgia Tech BC action. Today it's going to be North Carolina and Florida State. So we're going to head down to Tallahassee. And Kurt Weiler joins us as he has many, many times before in his fifth appearance on the program. Kurt, first of all, appreciate the time. Good morning. And there's always something to talk about, whether it's baseball, which we'll get to. Uh, but we got football in the brain first. And there seemed to be a turnaround for Florida State in that second half of the season last year, where that thing got off to a lousy start and it could have been ugly. But uh, to Florida State's credit, the players, the coaches, and everybody else, they really seem to find something in the second half of the 21 campaign. No doubt. I mean, I remember the the storyline going into last year was 
they better get off to a fast start because the the second half of that of that schedule with I think what Clemson with NC State with Miami with a trip to Boston College with Florida was pretty brutal and they started 0 4 they obviously had the loss to to Jacksonville State sorry to the Florida State fans watching to bring that one up again but you're gonna have to to get used to that unfortunately but no yeah I mean they uh, they definitely found something I mean they they I think. It was really when you started to see the youth movement that Mike Norvell committed to early in his time paying off with a number of guys, young guys, who had played and kind of gone through his growing pains, kind of maybe coming out of the growing pains. And so, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how that carries over into the uh, into the 2022 season for sure. Kurt, where was the – I mean, there was a bloom of optimism in the spring, and I think Jordan Travis being named the quarterback had something to do with that. But then I think in the spring game, people got to see Trey Benson. They got to see uh, Pittman. They, they got to see kind of some of the new arrivals, if you will. And it seemed like from that point, it ramped up. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, I think people – I think the Florida State fan base is definitely a bit cautious because they've, they've been hurt by the optimism bug. I mean, they remember the, the pretty much full 100% optimism of Willie Taggart's first offseason and then obviously how his tenure played mm-hmm. out. So I think there's some – hesitant op- optimism but I mean I think no doubt when you look at I mean what they've done with the offensive line group obviously that didn't show in the spring game because they were pretty banged up but it's not expected to be a thing that carries over into 2022 but when you look at what what they've done with that wide receiver room when you look at what they've done at running back I mean obviously having that established quarterback in Jordan Travis is a uh, is a big deal yeah I think there is I think there is some some optimism and I mean for Mike Norvell's sake, you better hope that he better hope that carries over into uh, like not just optimism for no reason, but having a reason for that optimism that's showing up on the field. I, I still remember uh, Jordan Travis being interviewed after the spring game, and you want your quarterback to have it not, not necessarily a cockiness, but just a hey, I have total command of what's going on. And he talked the game in terms of hey, we're going to score on people, and I liked it to be honest with you. It was like hey, I, I want my quarterback to feel that hey. We're heading in the right direction. And I do think that the players bought into what Mike Norvell was selling because had they not, Kurt, I'm telling you, last year really could have been ugly. And I I was impressed. And I know they lost the game against the Gators at the end, which was a bowl game uh, per se because that's what was at stake. Uh, But I just got the sense that Florida State, and I'm not telling you they've arrived because they haven't because the standard of Florida State's this up here. But I was buying what Florida State was selling in the second half of the season. And I think with the transfer portal, and I think Norvell's done a nice job in that department, guys are playing. You mentioned the youth movement. I get a sense that there is a, a, a within that locker room, a sense that, hey, you know, everybody's going to talk Clemson, everybody's going to talk NC State, Wake, yada, yada, yada. But Florida State's going to be a problem for people. And I think that's absolutely going to be the case in 22. Yeah, they get, they get to show it early on. I mean, obviously, uh, the week zero game against Duquesne, they're playing in August. And then the week after that is LSU in New Orleans. And then two weeks after that, after a bye week, is a trip to Louisville. I mean, those are two games, I mean, to, di- to varying degrees and different situations. But, I mean, that's a there's a schedule right there. It's a chance to show uh, that, yes, I mean, do you need to win both those games? No, but I think you need to win at least one of them to kind of show that, hey, yeah, we're carrying over at least at least some of that from last year. I mean, you talked about the transfer portal. The interesting thing there is – Probably the guy who I think a lot of people were most excited about, either Jared Verse or Winston Wright from West Virginia. Winston Wright, we're still a little unsure. He was in a car accident over spring break. So I, you didn't get to see him in the spring game. We didn't really get to see him at spring practice much. 
And so, I mean, if if he were, he's recovering, and I think he's he's coming back pretty well. If he's able to get back for the season two, that's even another boost for them than what we saw in the spring. Okay, so we look at that schedule. We know where the kind of the talent lies. There'll be a little bit more attention, perhaps, on the offensive line, at least in that week zero game against Duquesne, just to see maybe the the continuity, if nothing else, and then kind of. Look, and we all understand what those games are, and I'd, I'd say the same thing. In fact, Adam Lucas is with us later. We're going to look at combinations as much as we look at who starts because you got to have more than five guys to get through a season. So it feels like Louisville, B.C., that little stretch. You mentioned those first two games, that, that LSU situation in Louisville, but it even feels like with B.C., before you kind of get to NC State at the, in that October break, Right there, Wake Forest. Look at those four from September 16th to October 8th. And I'll even take Clemson and push that to the backside a little bit. And I know I shouldn't, but I will for this discussion. It feels like behind LSU, those next four games, ironically, Pack, what you talked about a year ago, Kurt, it feels like those are the kind of the sweet spot games to determine what kind of year Florida State has, Kurt. You're absolutely right. I mean uh – Mark, you talked about maybe Florida State not getting back to true Florida State standards this year, but definitely a step back in the right direction. And I think that step isn't beating Clemson, per se. They could. Who knows what the Tigers are going to look like. But it's beating those teams who they used to beat year in and year out. I mean, the, the guys you just listed there, the the Louisville's, the Wake Forests, the NC States, obviously, mm-hmm. and the Boston Colleges. Florida State, I think, went 2-2 two and two against those teams last year. They won at BC, and they – no, they went 1-3. I lied. They lost to – they lost to Louisville as well. So, I mean, that that goes to show. I mean, yeah, that that one and three probably needs to become either a two and two or maybe even a three and one to kind of feel like, yes, this mm-hmm. is headed back to kind of the Florida State of old for sure. Yeah, I think going from, you know, winning five games to double digits, I mean, that's a humongous jump for anybody in any league. Right. And, and I think, in my opinion, as we sit here in the middle of June, Kurt, that the ACC's Atlantic division is going to be nasty. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, Wake – is the defending champ. NC State's getting preseason top 10 love. Clemson's Clemson. And if their quarterback gets straightened out, they're like elite Clemson, Clemson. And then I, that, that cluster we keep talking about, Boston College, Louisville, Florida State, I, I think they're all good enough to cause a problem. And now if somebody can, the ball mm-hmm. bounces right, you stay healthy, uh, get a little luck, hey, who knows what happens. But I think going from like five to eight, would be kind of the natural progression of, hey, we're heading in the right direction. But I have a positive vibe yeah. of Florida State. I, I do think they are heading yeah. in that direction as we sit here in the middle of June. Yeah, I, I think I think eight is a good number. I think seven even would be an interesting number. I, I, I think Mike Norvell's safe pending like a really bad season for this year just because, I mean, obviously they're still paying Willie Bag- Taggart's buyout through the end of 2023. But no doubt, I mean, the more he accomplishes this year, the more his team accomplishes this year, the better spot he'll be in going into 2023. And I think I think eight is uh, an interesting number. I mean, obviously it went from three in the COVID season to five last year. So, yeah, definitely another another step forward. I feel like the uh, – First bowl of his time at FSU is a must, but but how many more beyond a bowl can they get to, for sure? All right, Kurt. Uh, we know Kenny Dillingham left in the offseason. We know Atkins comes in kind of as the, as the OC here. Um, one of the things we've talked about in some of this is there, there's got to be a guy. We talked about Benson and Pittman, guys who kind of showed a little bit. We're, who's a guy we need to keep an eye on here? I mean, you mentioned a couple guys that, that may factor in joining the team and getting back in rotation. 
But is there somebody in the spring? I mean, I, to me, Malik McLean is one of those guys who could be set for a breakout year. Um, if Travis can throw the ball and throw it efficiently, McLean seems like the guy. Is there somebody else maybe we keep an eye on in your mind, at least as camp begins? So a, a guy who who didn't play a ton last year, he was hurt in fall camp. It delayed kind of his start to the season, but he was back and is going to be one of the starting cornerbacks this year is, is Amarion Cooper. They call him Duke. And he, I mean, he is, is, it's really impressive to watch for a guy who last year was a three-star recruit and a true freshman. I mean, he came in late in the year and kind of had earned one of the uh, starting spots by the end of the year. I think he had an intercept. He had a couple interceptions late in the season, I think, and just a really, uh, Impressive guy on that front. I mean, obviously, another guy, when you look at uh, the receivers, I'm interested to see. I mean, Johnny Wilson is a, a transfer. He actually went to the same pit high school as Micah Pittman, but he went to Arizona State. Mm-hmm. He's an interesting guy because he is really tall, probably like 6'5", and moves pretty well. The, and, and so you, he's a guy who you will see make some some really impressive plays. And probably, at least we saw in the spring, maybe a few too many drops. So I'm interested to see kind of which Johnny Wilson we see because he is probably a guy who's going to have some wow plays this year and probably also a guy who, who may have some some lapses and big moments. But no doubt, I, I think if you're Florida State right now, you may be willing to make that trade for the big plays you've been lacking from your receiver room the last few years. Curly, let's switch gears a second. Uh, obviously, big news last week is uh, baseball is a big deal at Florida State, and it should be. Um, change with Martin out now tag you're it everybody's kind of connecting dots going hey Link Jarrett he's had some success he's got Florida State ties just bring him on down here well Link Jarrett's got a pretty good gig at Notre Dame in fact he's got some unfinished business getting to Omaha how surprised were you with number one the change and number two what do you think the outlook is for Florida State baseball looking forward for their next coach I mean, I was so I was a little surprised. I wrote a column after the season ended in the uh, Auburn Regional just about, I mean, through three years of Mike Martin Jr.'s original four year contract, he's probably really not done enough to justify an extension, especially kind of compared to the Florida State standard. I I wrote it under the impression he was going to get the fourth year and kind of like he's going to have to prove a lot in that in that fourth year in 2023. And then you start to hear the the rumblings, and uh, by by Friday afternoon, yeah, he uh, he had he had been let go. And I mean, it's obviously it's going to be weird not not seeing a Martin in the dugout after the last forty three years between his his dad and him. But I, he was kind of a, a victim of the standards he helped build at at FSU baseball. I mean, he was an assistant there for a long time, built this program uh, with his dad a, a lot into what it was, or kind of helped take it to the next level. And, uh, I mean, he as a head coach wasn't meeting them. A lot of it reflects on him because, uh, I mean, I would say the, the hitting was kind of the weakness of that team when you look at it, and he was the primary hitting coach. And I think uh, mm. it, it doesn't help matters. I mean, you, you, you don't always want to read into these things too, too much, but there has not been really any player support for Martin that I've seen. So that, that may speak to somewhat, wow. I mean – a little of maybe unease in the uh, in, in the clubhouse there, and no one being too upset about about him being gone. But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you talked about the the name be connected, and I think a lot of people were happy to see Tennessee go down, happy to see Notre Dame get that. Florida State fans, obviously, maybe not so much. Michael Alford, maybe not so much, because if that is your number one guy on your list, you're you're going to be waiting a little longer now for for resolution before finding out for sure. All right, Kurt, I want to I want to go past the number one guy. Let's assume Link Jarrett's the top candidate, played there, understands Florida State, the whole nine yards. If it's not Link Jarrett, 
who is it or who are names that are being talked about because you know Pack and I said this when Clemson was open it looks like Clemson may be lining up for Eric Bakich at Michigan but that being said this is one of the and Kyle Peterson said last Friday night it's one of the premier baseball jobs in the country Florida State I mean it's not just a good baseball job it's one of the best baseball jobs in the country no doubt. I mean, you look at them, they haven't won that title, obviously, but they've done pretty much everything else. They've won a whole bunch of games. I think the, the, the nice thing about being a place like FSU with all the success they've had, the great players they've had, is you have so many guys who have FSU ties. I mean, if you're, if you're willing to go for a, 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 first-time, a, a first-time head coach or assistant getting promoted, obviously a guy like Chris Hart at NC State has Florida State ties. Uh-huh. A guy like James Ramsey at Georgia Tech has Florida State ties. Yep. Mike Bell has Florida State ties. I'd be interested to see. I mean, I think making the move like this when you do now kind of to me says that they're looking to make a splash. So I don't I don't wonder if they don't look look nationally to some degree. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if 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 someone like a Cliff Godwin would be interested if they wanted to go outside of FSU. But no doubt, I mean, Pedro Grafol, some guys in the majors working in the majors now. Th- there are so many guys with FSU ties, and I know. I mean, this is a job who win it came open even i think before it came open there were people asking about it so there will be plenty of suitors if it's not like Jarrett. but i mean i think he has to tell you no first well if it's not link Jarrett, i will just say one thing uh, sitting in this chair there's only one guy that i would go after if i was florida state buster posey buster 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 posey let's bring buster posey back to florida state i knew it i knew it let's bring buster back to fsu the fans would love that. I, I, mean, I would like that. I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure you're going to get a guy who retired pretty young from the MLB to go spend time with family to come commit to college coaching. But no. I, I, yeah, a it's, lot of people would love that. To be sure, Kurt, Kurt, you are Kurt. You're very kind to play along with Packer Fantasy Land <laughs> right now. That's all I'm telling you. Okay, you're very kind. I mean, I mean hey, it's nice to have you on the show. And Florida all these other State things, but don't, needs don't to Florida State game. needs to win the College oh. World Series. Who better to win World Series than a guy that's got Florida State okay. ties, the three right. times we World Series yeah. champion, Buster Posey? So if it's not Link Jarrett, you know what? I'm in for Buster Posey. You know what? Here's the thing. We know this because the man was nice enough to come on the show at Amelia Island. Michael Alfred watches this show, and he's probably sitting in his office going, really, Packer, you're going to do this to me? You're going to throw Buster Posey's name out there? Got to hire somebody. Got to hire somebody. I hope in the presser. I hope whenever he announces the head coach, he goes, I appreciate Mark Packer's solo candidacy of Buster Posey, who doesn't want to coach and lives in California. How about this? I can tell you, it's not a solo candidacy. I'm not sure it's a big candidacy, but I have a couple people on my Twitter mention say the same thing. All right. Let me put it this way then. If we can't get Buster to be the uh, baseball coach of Florida State, surely we get Buster Posey on the show. So I'll put the pressure on us. Can we get Buster Posey on the show? There we go. All right. I'm sure he would well, do that for you. All right. All right. That's the least we can do. All right. Do. Hey, Kurt, thanks. <laughs> Be well, my man. Take care. See you soon. Okay? Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks. You bet. Kurt Waller, Tallahassee Democrat. When we come back, the national champion is from the ACC in the discus, Claudio Romero from Virginia, and all that that entails next on Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Yesterday on the program, the NCAA champion in the discus, Claudio Romero, joined us from Virginia. Uh, young man who's a native of Chile was Chile. a fascinating visit. And we 
we started off our we started off our chat by asking him if he just felt like it was his time to win a championship. It was definitely a challenge, you know, I was uh, coming second seated to the collegiate record holder, you know, so uh, uh, it was definitely in my mind, you know, um, I knew it was going to be as tough as uh, it was going to be to get a medal at uh, World Championships, so uh, definitely a challenge, you know, um, I was nervous the whole time, and the fact that I won by uh, two centimeters is just like makes it so much worse. All right, now... The discus, there's there's a lot of technique involved in this. I know just enough to be dangerous. Oh, for you, that's... what makes your what makes your approach the best? Why why did it work out for you? Is it because of the velocity you create in the launch? Is it the way you release the disc? Where where do you think you have an advantage? I mean, uh, I feel it's all about like how confident you are in the preparation you had. And I was very confident because I knew I was uh, doing everything I could do for the past couple months. Uh, so whenever I just uh, went in that stage, I just knew that uh, what I had to do, I've been doing it for months now. So um, I would say that like my advantage in the competition was that I was so confident. Claudio, hmm. I, I, I've never picked up a discus. What, what does that thing weigh? Is that weigh thing, is that like five, ten pounds? I mean, what, what's that thing go for? <laughs> no, nah, it's pretty light. It's uh, 4.4 pounds, but the problem is making it fly, you know? All right, so it weighs four hmm. pounds. So, like, w the first time you ever picked up a discus and you went, hey, this is something I could do. I mean, walk me through that because that, you know, I know you're from Chile. So, I mean, is that just something you go, all right, I got nothing to do today. Let me go pick up a discus and heave that thing around the neighborhood. I mean, how does that work? Uh, I mean, like, I, uh, I wasn't original uh, discus thrower. I was a shot putter. And uh, I actually, like, was really bad at disc. Like, uh, I was a pretty dangerous guy because uh, I would hook the discus to a right and uh, I would, like, almost hit sprinters every other day. So um, whenever I, like, showed up to practice and my coach was uh, wanted me to throw disc, I would be like, no, please don't make me kill some sprinter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, at some point I had to get good at it just for the sake of my teammates. And uh, that's how I, like, became a discus thrower, I guess. All right, so I mean, if right, you're not so, out there killing sprinters, if on. you're not out there killing sprinters, I mean, that sounds right. to me like it has to be like a confidence thing. It's kind of like a golfer who shanks their first shot. All of a sudden, you just have to get comfortable knowing that. Guess what? I'm going to get this thing going straight at some point in time. So, how do you do that? I mean, I guess it's just practice, man. Um, I've been watching videos of other throwers since I was 14 years old, and uh, just cannot get enough of it. <laughs> So where has it that you can spin a discus? Like a guy would pick up a basketball or whatever. Okay, so if you got that, let me let me put you on the test here. Can you spin the discus for us? All right, all right. Yeah, okay, yeah go I got you here. All right, so now that does it. Now, That's how difficult? Trick. Oh, okay. All right. Now, so how long does it take to learn to do that? Because that looks like something. <clears throat> like if I picked up a discus, how long would it take me to learn how to spin one? Uh, I mean, like, definitely it's, like, all about practice, you know. Um, usually, I, I, I guess it took me, like, two months, you know, but, like, I'm a pretty slow learner, so, like, I will give you a little less for you. <laughs> all right, so uh, so you, you're coming back from Oregon. Do you carry that thing? And they allow you to carry that thing on the plane? How, how does that work? No, I, I, uh, I do have to take it in, unfortunately. 
So you can't just sit there in like uh, seat 22C and just spin that thing on the way home, huh? You can't, you can't impress the masses doing that. Yeah, no, I can't. But uh, yeah, I would definitely get some free stuff from the flight attendants if, uh, if they see me doing this trick. Yeah, I hear you now. I see what you're doing with that. The old spin the discus yeah. flight attendant trick. I got you on that deal. I noticed on, the, right. on the IG here, on the IG, it says comedian. No way, are, are you part-time comedian here? Are you been hiding on us this entire interview that you're a comedian? Nah, definitely not. But uh, if I put comedian on my IG, he definitely like gives me like kind of an excuse for uh, my dark humor and the things that I post on Instagram. You know? <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. Just checking. Didn't want didn't to leave that stone unturned, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, okay. I love yeah, it. No. All right, here's our question. This is, this will be the toughest one you get out of us. Uh, since All you've right. been at the university, since you've been at the University of Virginia, Claudio, what has been your hardest class? I mean, um, I would say the hardest to pass class, you know, because uh, uh, with me, and uh, I feel like a lot of people, uh, when I, when I choose a really easy class, you know, I like kind of stop like putting attention to it at some point. And like I find myself at the end of the semester that, uh, that I'm failing it. So I would say my hardest to pass class, probably something, something that sounds very easy, you know, but I just don't put like any attention or like any effort on it, you know? All right, something so let's like, could, could be like, probably like, probably like drama class like i was about to fail definitely drama class drama come yes. on man yeah, you yeah. just won that wait a minute you just won the national championship wait a minute you just won the national championship by two centimeters you tell me drama could be trouble come on dude you just lived yeah, the I ultimate mean, <laughs> you just lived the ultimate drama two centimeters yeah Uh, he was a trip now. <laughs> Claudio with the belt. That got the hardware, hilarious. man. He just needs to get a deal with Chipotle. Yep. Again, I hope the folks up here in Charlottesville are paying attention. Give the guy a deal. He's a national champion. There you go. Claudio Romero, he was great to visit with. When we come back, <sighs> off-season accounting, best oh, coaching yeah. jobs in the ACC, a Packer and Durham top 10 next on ACC Network. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371 and streaming on the ESPN app.